Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm a dead boy. Bruiser Holden McNeely. And it's me, your purple guy wizard, Jake Young. Am I a ghost? Am I a zombie? Am I here? If you pause this one frame of a pixel animation and change the contrast, you'll see the number 17. Pick that apart, you weird nerds. Uh, just kidding. I'm I'm a murderer. I'm a murderer guy stuck in a seat. And piss in my mouth. It's an episode on Five Nights at Freddy's. That's right. My new catchphrase for the show Piss in my mouth, Jake. This is a great, this is a great uh, <laughs> a kind of genre of topics that we're covering, Holden, because if you don't know what this is, you purposefully went out of your way to not learn about this for yeah. at least a decade. Or You saw it on a patch on a book bag at some point. You saw, you know, you, you saw, saw the Funkos. You saw the YouTube saw the suggestion Funkos. algorithms. You saw the book covers. You saw the children's costumes on Halloween. And still, you were like, no, I refuse <laughs> to know about this. Or, conversely, you already know about this and know about it so much that you can pinpoint every single Easter egg in every single game and have a note for note recollection of which animatronics were East were like hidden characters from which games. And you don't need this podcast to tell you about it. We're covering the bases for nobody. <laughs> There's like three weirdos who are waiting for our take on this. This is one of those Pandora's box episodes. Mm. I feel like for me where like I did, really know a lot personally actually I was one of the people who actively avoided it and upon learning about its creator um, just the whole it re-unlocked the vault of like oh right there's all these like YouTube personalities Mm -hmm. that I kind of know about but I've never actually like seen what they do who got huge right around the time of this game coming out in particular and this franchise and it's all boiled into this whole corner of entertainment that was for a generation just below mine, you know, just younger than me, rather. I feel like it was two generations below. Two this generations. Is solid Zoomer shit right here. Right. But then you see, well, first of all, and I know you might make I might make some people upset when I say this, but Five Nights at Freddy's is, by the way, that generation's goosebumps. Straight up. Absolutely. There's even 
There's even a full-on book series I didn't even know about that I'm sure is at the Scholastic Book Fair, right? That's a Scholastic mm-hmm. joint, right? Those The Five Nights books? Might be, actually. You know, and and, and getting into it, I, I, I like a horror game, by the way. I, I've played Outlast. I've played Resident Evil. I love the Resident Evil series. I like all that kind of stuff. Phasmophobia. There's so many spooky games, and it's, it is so true that it is so fun and easy and just tailor-made for streaming. Mm. And I even live-streamed Five Nights at Freddy's for a few hours, and it was so fun. Everyone loving... Because it gets me every time, by the way. It's totally... This is is what I feel like... If people rag on this game for being like, oh, it's just cheap jump scares. Oh, it's just cheap jump scares. But... There is. is an art to the jump scare. There is an actual like level of yes. foresight and timing and understanding of human attention and human perception that makes it so that in order to win the game, you have to actually focus and hone in a part of your brain that is completely separated from your limbic like freak fight or flight freak out instinct. Like to yeah. all of these games from the from the first one all the way to Pizza Simulator, all the way to uh, the the modern ones like the AR games and the and Pizza Simulator breach. is so fucking weird. This guy yeah. is so weird, by the way. We'll talk about Scott Cawthon and, and all of his weird ass video game design approaches and the bizarre like clip art bullshit that he where does he get his assets from? They're so it like. It's like the it's like he based his entire uh, approach to graphic design on like the paperclip, micros the Microsoft Helper paperclip. Like well, it the, all uh, kind of looks like that. Just it looks like it's from a completely different time and place, and it's just like weirdly. Uh, anyways, I, I'm digressing like crazy. Yeah, okay. But what, I'm, you're what right. I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is by crafting these experiences, where in order to progress, you actually have to like manage a, a rule set and keep uh, s- different systems up and running yes. and to like constantly juggle your attention and re- requires complete focus so that when the jump scare hits every fucking time the part of your brain that has been hardwired since the pr- like primordial ooze to beware when something with teeth lunges at you like just yeah. fr- like a, pr- a, a, pr- a paramecium has something in its nucleus, its cellular nucleus, to know that if something is coming at you with teeth, freak out, release adrenaline, get out of the yes. way, do something. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. And just you go over ah! and like, over yeah, yeah. and over again. These games lull you into turning off that part of your body, and then it smacks you in the face once again. It is yeah, genuinely it's the pacing is perfect for that, and you know its methods because the the pulling the the camera monitor thing right up to your face so that you know when you drop it down the thing is there to jump to to be f- right in your face is so smart and and i i made a mistake just a little while ago when i said it all it is is a jump scare simulator because that's not actually all it is i think the thing that makes this whole series i didn't even really know anything about this side of it the thing that makes this whole series is it's great attention to lore mm. and it's wanting to tell you this story in little increments within each game as it goes. That's the thing between that and it being the like a perfect streaming experience, 
really for for so many live streamers those two things combined just make it internet gold mm-hmm. right and so that that and i'm actually genuinely so fascinated by like i wish i could talk to uh, canceled Scott Coffin, uh, and we'll get into that as well later is that on. Like I, punished Snake, is that what you're? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like uh, he's like Nightmare Springtrap, right? Mm-hmm. He went from Springtrap in the first game to Nightmare Springtrap in the in the in the fourth game. I'd love to talk to him about like I just want to know, and I didn't get any confirmation on this, how much he was thinking about like future games and how much he was thinking about building this lore. In the first game. At first, I thought, oh, he, that was all like retrofitted to the series. Like after the first game, he was like, oh, I hit gold here. I'm going to now like create this whole backstory. But that's not the case. Perfect example. I was really floored when I saw that the bite of 87 was mm-hmm. introduced in the very first game. Right. And that is the thing that made me go, whoa, this guy really put a lot into what's happening like in the background of this game story wise even from the very beginning when it seemed like he didn't really need to and that is really interesting to me and that's i keep in other words i keep oscillating back and forth is is this guy the fucking corniest hack ridiculous dude of all time or is he actually like one of the smartest dudes in game development and i keep oscillating between the two because there's so many things like that crazy ass business sim and pizza simulator or the fucking rpg FNAF world. yeah fnaf world and shit that's just like this guy is an, a moron this guy is like the <laughs> dumbest guy in the business and then and then i i hold in what you're describing is the phenomenon of the outsider artist someone self-trained completely separate from all the rules and institutions of the art world Right. Just honing their craft and their own vocabulary and their own kind of language of expression with these crude tools. Like 3D, like he was a guy who was into CG animation before like the true boom of uh, stuff like, uh, you know, DreamWorks and Sony animation, Illumination, all these places where like. He was still using 3DS Max and he was still doing the same level of CG that like was used in CD-ROM games in the 90s because that's what he was grew up and kind of like that's what he learned. And he made all of these insane games before Five Nights at Freddy's actually a weird mix of like honest to God shovelware and then these lofty. Uh, RPG experiences and kind of epic thing. You know, he did a full movie and game uh, uh, interpretation of the Pilgrim's Progress, which is this insane 1600s Puritan allegory novel that involves like a man like leaving his wife and kids to it's basically like um, the Wizard of Oz with more Christian guilt. And he like built this like entire world of his own interpretation of that. Like he was just doing his own thing just for so long that when it, when something finally clicked, it was all on him. So he could just play with his audience on a daily basis. Like the teasers, the Reddit Mm -hmm. posts, the blog posts, like he just kept his finger on the pulse of the fandom and reacted to it and gave him like niblets in real time and just kept the fires going in a way that like 
a, a game, a triple A game company would like, no, you have to run this through PR. No, you have to run this through beta. He did, you know, half the games he released came out broken in some way. Like, and, and within like a year, like he came out with like the, those first four Five Nights at Freddy's were like within a year or, or a year and a half. You, you have to be outside the system Ridiculous. to think that's a good idea. <laughs> it's so insane. And and, and they're, they are so weird. I was just looking at a like how to for Five Nights at Freddy's 2 and it's just you just have to like break the game essentially mm. and that's kind of what I had to do at night five I beat the first Five Nights at Freddy's I feel a little bad right now because if you're listening to this and you were one of those people who were like I really do, don't have any fucking idea about what this is Five Nights at Freddy's you it is a first person you were like locked into this office chair essentially and you're the security guard at this animatronics pizzeria place that's like Chuck E. Cheese and the animatronics come to life at night and you'll be surprised how little like m- movement happens in this game. Well, it's made in. I mean, he famously made all of these games in a in a easy game maker software called Click yeah. Team Fusion. Yeah, that doesn't really. It doesn't have a 3D engine. It doesn't have like a lot of modern tools that an engine like Unreal or Frostbite or anything you might be used to. Uh, Unity, all this stuff, and he's just kind of used what he knew, which was 3DS Max, and, like, made his own assets. The There's weird artifacting in a lot of these games because you're just panning across a compressed JPEG for a lot of it. Like, you know, it's, again, using these extremely limited tools, this extremely uh, bizarre set of skills to make something that just blew people out of the water and created an ecosystem that just fed itself and just grew and grew and grew to the point of a critical mass. I'm, it's impressive and weird at, and yeah. befuddling at the same time. Well, I just wanted to say, like, so you're sitting there and all you can do is pull up this, like, it's almost like a tablet and it'll take you to different cameras throughout the restaurant, right? And so you're popping into different different rooms of uh, using this tablet to, like, see where the animatronics are as they're slowly making their way to you. And the only other thing you're doing is keeping an eye on the doors to your left and your right, and you can turn on a light that'll blink for just a little bit in the left and the right that'll show you if an animatronic is there. And then you clo- if you, there is one there, you close the door on them until they go away, which is there's a way to track that. And there's just an energy meter going the whole time. And there's a timer, essentially. It's about a minute and a half for each hour. And you're trying to get from midnight to 6 a.m. And you're trying to do that over the course of five nights. And that is the game. And with its simplicity... I will say, like, even me, grown adult, played a lot of horror games, aficionado with that. There's no, like, it would be surprising. I've never seen this happen where it just didn't affect the player at all. It, it always will get, make you go, ah, like, like <laughs> when the animatronic pops up at you. And I do, it's like, it's almost, it's like annoying after a while because you're like, yes. I know what the game is. I've been playing the game for a while, but it just doesn't matter because of the, the way that the animatronic is animated and stuff, it just can't, you can't not, like, if you don't see it coming, if you're not prepared for it, and oftentimes you aren't because the way the game is paced, then you it will make you scream and, and jump back. And then if you're streaming, everybody laughs and they're so happy that the man screamed on the camera. And it's great and it's embarrassing and it's perfect for little kids getting together for a overnight, for a spend the night, for a slumber party, 
It is like unbelievably good for that. I mean, I remember back in the day when I was playing like Resident Evil 2 with friends, but this is a whole different deal because there's just so much fun to be had in its simplicity of like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Oh God, you know what I mean? And then it finally does happen and everyone screams and yet there's no blood, there's no guts. I mean, the only thing in it that is like, maybe this isn't for kids, but it is for kids is just the the lore side of it of like, they're all like dead kids. and Well, that's you know, brilliant because the game, the games themselves, uh, a lot of the lore is told through these like Atari 2600 style 8-bit sequences. Yeah. And those are extremely vague. So the game itself doesn't say anything about like, oh, this is a insane inventor who like watched his kids die in horrible mangling accidents and then like started killing uh, his business partner's kids and then like stuffed the, his murder victims into animatronic suits and those ghosts possess those kids. Like all that is lightly is suggested, but never outright given to you. And so it's up to MatPat at YouTube to do a 40-minute video where they break down, like, why all this stuff is actually about gruesome child murder. It's, it's yeah. genuinely a brilliant thing. It's like, he can just sit back and just be like, well, I didn't say that. But it then in the later game, in the next game in the cycle, he confirms something yeah. that MatPat said. He confirms something that Super Horror Bro said. And all yeah. of a sudden... It feeds back into itself because the fandom gets a pop because their fan theory was correct. He gets a pop because there's all this renewed interest. And the more it grows, the more the content audience is incentivized to talk about the game. And so all of a sudden you have this, you know, uh, you have this thing where like even if five million people actually get the game on Steam for like four ninety nine, three ninety nine on iPhone or whatever. There's a hundred million people engaged with the game who never even played it, but just like the fan craft, who love the fan theories, who love the monster designs. Which again, I immediately think about that kid in at school with his buddies, you know, showing up, talking about this, talking about this franchise, so into it. It's just such a baby's first edgy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what it feels like to me. It's like it's a way to feel a little edgy, a little like kind of kind of bad like a little like dark and 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 fucked a little bit but still in such a safe safe space so safe that the <laughs> the maker of the game is fundamental christian guy that, that uh, well that is, that is actually an interesting thing i've i i wanted to figure out how to articulate this but in the same way that like victorian dolls and like a rusty man or like a dusty old manor like in the way that like these th these symbols of like opulence and uh and and kind of just the the way that like the the detritus of a past generation feels inherently haunted applying to janky 80s pizzeria uh animatronics and on top of that 90s era kind of uncanny valley cg for zoomers is itself a haunted Victorian doll. Like it is just this yeah. thing from a dead past that seems imbued with ghosts. And Five Nights at Freddy's actively like creates that, you know, but it again, solidifies that terror. That's the sort of thing where, where, where is the accident meet the artistry, right? Because right. a lot of this stuff is by accident. And then, but I have to hand it to Scott Cawthon and the, for this part where he knows how to utilize the accidents and go with them 
and 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 that is fundamental to creating the very first game even on its own that he got he made a different game which we'll talk about and it got chat all over and he actually used that to his advantage which is quite brilliant whatever you want to say about the guy because there's a lot of people who don't who really hate this guy's guts at this point and we'll talk about that uh by the end of this episode and it's again pandora's box is really really fascinating this whole thing I, i don't know how i feel about it it's like I really appreciate what it is. And also I think it's kind of bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of weird, but it works and it got me. And I'm like, I really enjoyed going down the wormhole on it. Right. I really enjoyed like picking up. I, I played specifically five nights at Freddy's and I, I saw credits on that. We beat that. Mm. I got the fourth one, which is so weird. We're like a boy in your uh, or a little kid in your bedroom in a bedroom mm-hmm. of a house trying to keep the monsters out. Sister sister location which location, is really good. Which is good. It's 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 inter- sister location is what I'll give sister location is again, I don't think it's really good. I think it's like good for what it is. Mm. And I but what I will give it to is that like he finally after four games back to back to back all released within about a year and a half of each other. He finally took a step back and was like, how do I evolve this? <laughs> how do I do something more than just this very basic thing? And he did manage to evolve it with that. Unfortunately, once you get a bit past that, it really it's really hard to open this thing up and expand on it in a way that both is like scary and works and is also like a bigger game, like in other words, like a Resident Evil Seven, right? Mm-hmm. A first-person survival horror game that isn't cheesy and like hackily written, right? Because again, what makes the game well written, technically, like the first one, is is it's how sparse it is, mm-hmm. writing-wise. How little you have to go on. You have this guy calling in, giving you these pieces of information in a sparse way in a you know kind of like tidbit way that works so well for freaking you out and making you curious but once you start to fill the more and more you fill those blanks in i guess what i'm getting to what's what's the one in the mall the more the most recent one that that didn't really work because it was like they tried to make it well a it didn't really work because the game was broken with a ton of glitches when it first came out i bet but also yeah, it's yeah. It is like weird. once you make the world big, and once you go, hey, you can move around and go wherever you want in it, and all this kind of stuff. Once you do that sort of thing, it can really lose itself, mm. you know, because it can't compete with Resident Evil Seven. It can't compete with the big boys that are doing that, right? Mm. Because it now it's like it's just goofy animatronics that aren't actually that scary. Well, especially in the, in that one, they're like, and Freddy's your friend in this one. And you're like, all right, well that kind of total, you're totally like the thing that's scary is that I'm playing, I'm in this little security room. And all of a sudden I hear this like sad man crying. <laughs> and it's like, and I don't know where that's coming from. And, and I just know that these animatronics are getting close and dum, 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 dum. It's the part of horror that works best when you don't see the monster, right? It's, it's, that's what works so well for the first game is like, you don't really, except for uh, one. Nah, nah, that's what happens with so. every horror. Well, you, you're right. But also it is just part of horror franchises 
that the monster themselves become icons and heroic in the eyes of popular culture. You know, you watch an alien movie, it's going to be full of aliens. You watch a Predator movie, it's going to be full of Predators. Like, it's just, now we're at a point where Freddy and Chica and Foxy and Springtrap and um, uh, Ballora and Baby Baby and I'm there's so many goddamn of these characters. Uh, yeah, oh and yeah. Bonnie and Bonnie and Nightmare Bonnie and Toy Bonnie and all the Glitch Bonnie, all of them are beloved characters in their own right that you buy the dolls of, that you get download the mm. extra skins for on the AR app. You know, it Well, the example I wanted to use though is the fact that he wasn't able to and do a lot of animation in the first game. So when you click on the camera and you see Chica in the ballroom, let's say, or the party room or whatever it is, mm-hmm. let's say. And it's not moving. And it's just making this like creepy ass face. Mm-hmm. I think if it was moving, it'd be different. And then, spoiler alert, when you do get that moment with Foxy, where you click on the hallway and he goes, skimper, 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 and he's like <laughs> flying to the front, running towards your room. That works so well because it's the only time when you flip to a camera, something's actually moving. And that is only because of, in my opinion, Scott's like limitations with both his software and as a game designer. And again, that's where I say it's a real gray area where the like accidents and the kind of goof them up approach to game design uh, from Scott, it mixes with like brilliance, you know? And you don't, I can't tell where the brilliance begins and the dumb fuckery ends. You know, I'm telling you, that's you're describing outsider art. You're describing the entire movement of outsider art. Totally. But anyways, and we can get into it, but I just, that's, it's been a fascinating Mm -hmm. thing to just observe and, and look at from this like older dude standpoint, (laughs) you know, because I think you would just accept it for what it is as a kid. And then the other part where you're like, Oh, he rushed the fuck out of the second game. The second game's like too hard. It's like completely uh, like it's so bad in that way. You know what I mean? And you're just like, but as a kid, you just be like, yep, that's what it is. That's what how it works. The second game's just impossible. Did he patch it? He patched it. All right. Well, here we go. Let's get into it. Scott Cawthon. Let's talk about him. Uh, He, it's not Cawthorn, by the way. It's Cawthon. Scott Cawthon, actually, because he grew up in Texas. He grew up, uh, still lives in Texas. He was born in 1978. Cawthon said, my mom bought me a program called Click and Play when I was 13, and I've been making games ever since. During my adult life, I've worked at a variety of places, but game design has always been my passion. This dude really completely struggled uh, up until he made Five Nights. It's also kind of hard to tell where the I want to make a career in this begins and the just doing it for a hobby ends uh, oh, as yeah. well. It really kind of seems like he was not expecting to have a full-on career. But at the same time, he hated the criticism his games got. It seemed like he was struggling really hard. I think he did see a world in which he could at least like support his family um, making video games, but I, I definitely don't think he thought he was going to have like this household fucking name with T-shirts at Hot Topic based around it and stuff like that and be making millions. The first game he made with the click and play was called Doofus in 1994. It's about a dinosaur. It kind of looks like that terrible Atari ET game <laughs> with a little bit of better graphics, but you're kind of moving around these different spaces, like shooting at stuff and... um 
If you've Very seen anybody who's like used one of those, like, yeah, just click and make your own game, like kind of thing. It definitely, you know, it's just a static background with some little spazzy thing moving in the mm-hmm. middle and it can't like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it looks like it was made by a teenager in click and play in 1994. Uh, although hilariously enough, a lot of these early games, he ended up re-skinning and releasing as fake uh, leaks of the of upcoming Five Nights at Freddy's. Which is what's funny about Five Nights at Freddy's World, the horrible RPG that he put out, is everyone thought that was one of those big <laughs> jokes. Like, oh, come on, Scott. This is too much at this point. We'll, we'll get into it. Oh, uh, he was also raised a devout Christian. And this is a big part of the story. Uh, it was large. Th- this largely guided his efforts in game design and would come into play later when he decided to leave game making altogether. We'll talk about it. But after uh, after making some games on his own, whatnots, uh, he ends up uh, he's he's self-taught. He did uh, on the game making end, at least he's self-taught. He did go to college for computer animation in 1996. Um, and uh, so he did get a little bit of, of schoolings. But uh, it was more just in his spare time d- teaching himself how to like do this stuff on these very rudimentary systems and he eventually joins a group called hope animation uh which is where he would end up creating christian media animations and video games and this one is, of those games I, yeah i just i just it's the one of the weirdest just crossover it's not even a crossover because we've never talked about this before but hope animation is also the house is the animation house that made the film strowinski and the mysterious house which features the character the Globglo Gobgalop, which was its own meme for years and uh, even got like sampled by Kanye West. April, if you can just give me a little bit of the Globga Gobgalop song. And of course, we can't have a show without you the DK son of a rap, bitch. April! Ah! I can't believe you've done this again. I swear to God, Holden, I will fly to L.A. and, like, punch you in the head until you forget specifically <laughs> the DK exists. That's like a plot of a movie. I love it. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Cawthon said, for about 12 years, I dedicated my free time to creating Christian movies and later Christian video games. It didn't go well, but I had faith that God wanted me to create those things anyway. 
Despite good reviews, my Christian projects were all financial failures. I came to a point where I was very disillusioned and frustrated with God. By the way, this is from pulled from a like Christian website, so it's a lot of it's yeah a lot of uh, God talk. Actually, it was more like a broken heart. I felt like I'd squandered so many years of my life, years that could have been spent going back to college, but were instead spent working on Christian projects that went nowhere. I came to the conclusion that I could not have failed so miserably unless God himself had been holding me down. Either God didn't exist or God hated me. I didn't know which was worse. Uh, and he then attempted to change careers a few times within the same industry, doing things like web design and stuff uh, like computer programming, as well as like trying out just straight up truck driving for a career. Cawthon said, a pivotal moment came for me when my life insurance policy was canceled. The insurance company had caught wind that I'd mentioned suicidal thoughts to my doctor. It was at that point I realized that not only did my life have no value, but now even my death had no value. I went before God again, and it was the first time that I truly went before Him with nothing. I had nothing to offer Him. I told Him to use me somehow. Uh, although at that moment, I had no idea what He could possibly use me for. By the way, had that happened to a friend who was just like mentioned like they at one point had suicidal thoughts, that'll get your shit taken away, your yeah. your insurance. That's nuts. Just throwing it out there. Heads up on that. So it's an interesting kind of era in his career because like I said, um, a huge part of it was about adapting the Pilgrim's Progress, which is kind of like Dante's Inferno meets Wizard of Oz meets um, Homer's Odyssey, where... This character named Christian is like strapped to a metaphorical burden that represents his life's sins. He leaves his wife and children. He like travels and meets like the ogre of despair and uh, meets characters like Mr. Mistopheles. Mr. Hopeful and Mr. Uh, Do-Right and Mr. Faithful and Dr. Atheist and Mr. uh, do, do bad things like it's a the very heavy handed thing. Yeah, yeah. Sister Born Sloth. from the Puritan era of Christianity, where like you know, blood of the Lamb, Jesus will save you. City on a hill, like a very fun, you know. And this was the message that he wanted to share with the world. This insanely uh, direct and heavy handed allegory about what it means to be a Christian. Uh, but also, while he's making these games, he is populating these movies and these games with like gigantic gnarly ass demons and like horrifying castles on hellish landscapes. Like the dude has a, he's like showing a case for uh horror, you know, within his understanding of hell and temptation that like, you know, that is what is truly horrifying to him. That is the greatest evil that he can manifest is through these Christian allegories but on top of that, there's other games like um, uh, A Desolate Room and A Desolate Hope, which are these uh, expansive, post-apocalyptic, high-concept, story-rich uh, kind of sci-fi adventures that mix like platforming and top-down shooters and RPG mm-hmm. elements and are, you know, some of the designs there are insanely complicated and menacing. You know, this is like... Um, you know, I have no mouth and I must scream like cybernetic terror in this guy's heart. So uh, the guy definitely has a understanding of like larger than life narratives and, you know, nightmarish imagery and grandiose 
kind of aspirations. The only problem is, is that they're just not catching a because the you know his choice of engine is like kind of limited. His uh, just overall visual fidelity is kind of a bizarre, uh, you know, early '90s self-taught CG style. Uh, the fact that Christian media itself isn't really popular, and it takes a lot to like get noticed in that in that realm. Um, um, and while his financial situation is desperate, he's also making tons of just like. Just straight up shovelware, you know, stuff like uh, Vegas fantasy jackpot, Vegas slots, uh, uh, you know, he's like just doing whatever he can to like just try and get secondary income through what he knows how to do, which is make these kind of games. And it's just a very, you know, it's 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 truly mafia slot machine, golden galaxy, like uh, amongst these these insanely lofty deeply personal games are these also the shovelware he's just trying to see what the hell will stick and the game that for some reason snaps him out of this uh his chipper and sons yeah it's the weirdest thing ever this is when you want to get your google fingies out and get to type in definitely look up chipper and sons lumber co because this is the weird game that uh allowed him to fall upwards into the five nights of freddy uh massive franchise success it was a kid's game for windows android and ios and it's about a place called beaver forest in which one plays a beaver who collects lumber to build out the lumber company critics shat all over this game uh, especially uh there's this this is the other interesting there's a few interesting characters in this because then you also have the youtuber side of it but jim sterling the uh youtube game critic who seems like a written person in a mood out of a movie like a fake video game critic to well, me I, like I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not, not gonna big... lie i'm not gonna lie i was actually a huge fan of uh cool uh, J- i think it's uh jim stephanie sterling uh, is what they go by now they them uh in the intervening years since they did this yes but uh i followed them when they were a part of destructoid i've you know just they've just been this like around the same age uh, snarky video game critic for a while. And I remember actually watching, I was subscribed to their channel at the time and they would do these series called uh, Steamlight trailer uh, reviews. And yeah, it was eight years ago. I can like, I already watched it. I watched it at the time and the Chipper and Sons Lumber Company trailer was just this, cacophony of visual noise there's just like flashing colors and icons and sprites just like spluing all over the screen uh half the screen is taken up by these colorful uh crudely made buttons because i think you know part of the touch controls for early iphone and android games there was a lot of garish design going on and it was kind of this resource builder kind of thing where you are setting up your very own lumberyard and planting trees and buying uh, robot woodchucks to like help you harvest things. There were like mini games and it all had this very stiff, very outdated and downright unsettling uh, early CG style, 
way less oh, detailed yeah. than the work he was doing for A Desolate Hope and Pilgrim's Progress. Again, I feel like I should get more credit for the Microsoft uh, paperclip helper, guy, Clippy. Yeah. Everything looks like it was inspired by Clippy. It's like that era of of computer art. Yeah, it's, it's like if uh, Donkey Kong Country was... Just someone like up the voltage on Donkey Kong Country past Jake, the human I am safe so levels. So glad you brought up the Donkey Kong Country. April hit it! No! on me this one's on me i'm in a hell of my own making and only the light of jesus christ can see me through this thank you scott (laughs) cawthon through your work in the pilgrim's progress for letting me accept jesus into my life and so yeah yeah and you know this jim sterling has never been the hugest youtuber but it was still the most the largest kind of recognition from the gaming press that he had ever gotten. And it was negative. And the, you know, on the steam reviews were negative. Like everybody was just horrified by this crude maximalist, shiny, uh, upsetting display of artistry that Scott had put out there at a time when he needed a hit. And he, this was him kind of selling out in a way. This was him going like, all right, what do people want? They don't want my uh, Bible allegories. They don't want my uh, dystopian uh, computer rogue AI RPG. Let's do something friendly. Let's do something nice. And it was still upsetting. (laughs) At this point in his life, Scott was, quote, working at Dollar General. I worked as a cashier. I had three bosses who were all still in high school. Before that, I worked at Target in the backroom freezer, unloading frozen foods. I haven't had a successful life. I went into a pretty deep depression. Then something in me snapped, and I thought to myself that I bet I could make something a lot scarier than that. Mm. As the main criticism was, these things are accidentally incredibly terrifying. (laughs) Cawthorn also said, success comes on God's terms in his time and in his way. God only allowed me to have success after I'd been broken, after I'd stopped seeking success for myself, after I'd come to terms with the idea that my labors for God might not ever bring me a penny. It was only after I'd lost everything that God was able to get my heart right to the point where he could trust me with success. And um, he bestowed upon Cawthon a concept about murderous animatronics. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, got did millions he of dollars. bestow that idea or did a fat British uh, they them critic? Who, I, think like, the G- I think the Jew God did it. But no. uh, what am I to say? You know what I mean? Uh, uh, I, I hope I hope it's the same God. Kind of. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. You know what I mean? I'm just. Uh, the you important know. thing is that every other person we've covered who wasn't a Christian succeeded because of uh, luck and practice and being in the right time at the right moment and capitalizing right. on the things that made their idea right for the time. It was only Scott. <laughs> who had the power of the big space man in the sky. It was everyone else who just kind of like did it without him. But like it was definitely the work of cosmic forces <laughs> beyond our comprehension 
that maybe made Cthulhu. the spooky bear game. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, Cawthon ends up spending about six months working on this new survival horror concept. His approach to the game making, by the way, is to, quote, usually just get an idea for a game and then toss and turn in bed about it until finally I just start working. From there, the game makes itself, and it seldom turns out how I'd originally planned it. For graphics, he used a program called, I think we mentioned it before, 3DS Max, which he'd been working with for over a decade at that time. He actually did try to learn Unity. He gave up pretty early on and went back to the program he'd been using almost since the very beginning up to that point, which is Click Team Fusion. Uh, He feels this is actually partially why the game ends up being a hit, and I agree. Quote, because I used Fusion and pre-rendered images, it gave my game a unique look, and I think it made the game scarier because of it it has this weird i don't want to say uncanny valley that's like i feel like an overused phrase incorrectly sometimes but it's just it's the digital equivalent of a haunted victorian doll i agree yeah yeah like if you were a gen zer like maybe you watched toy story on dvd and that was like the last dvd you remember but specifically that level of computer anime computer rendering is terrible at flesh tones. If you look yeah. at the human characters from A Pilgrim's Progress, they look like Playmobil toys. It's like only when he makes robots and monsters that there's something compelling going on there. Yeah, like, you know what's a good example? It's why like a game like Seventh Guest is still kind of creepy because of how it's root, how rudimentary it is. Mm-hmm. Like if it was updated to today, it probably wouldn't work. But because it's that old school graphics, you know, it kind of reminds me of like band CDs that had like computer graphic CD-ROM components mm-hmm. like the Wu-Tang Clan, Primus. Wu-Tang Forever. Pri- yes, Primus is the other one I was going to bring up. And it would just be eerie. Like it's just something icky, icky about it. Because it's it lifeless. Was so, it's yeah. it, like there are, you know, you recognize it. It's definitely not a drawing, but it's not reality either. It is yeah. It is a liminal, uncanny space that these that this level of... CG rendering kind of just evokes in people. Gothen said, I didn't expect the game to be this successful, but I knew it was going to do well from the first time I tested it, and the game scared me. I had just finished programming Bonnie the Rabbit to move around and had a still image of him up in your face for when he got into the room. It wasn't animated yet. Well, I wasn't expecting him to be there, and I lowered my camera, and there he was. I jumped. It was a cool feeling. So Cawthon submits the game to Steam's Greenlight System in the summer of 2014, which was accepted in August and released for $4.99. Cawthon said, as soon as Let's Play videos started popping up faster than I could watch them, I knew I had something special. Jake, you were catching these, right? Uh, this is oh. something I kind of missed out on, but you were catching Mar- Mark. What I was, I feel like I always say his name okay, wrong. Mark, so the Markiplier and yeah, and all the those patron guys. saint of YouTube Let's Plays of Five Nights at Freddy's is Markiplier. I did not get into his life story, but I did end up watching a lot of his videos because they were essential to the fandom. And the fact is, you know, he's a handsome guy. He has this calming baritone voice, and he reacts. In, you know, he he's quick-witted and reacts strongly to what is happening on screen. I, I'm not going to lie. We, we for our study session, we, uh, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew, $15 a month. You can join us on Discord every Sunday for the Sunday study session, covering whatever topic we're covering that week. Uh, for the Sunday study session, we put on the initial Let's Play for the first Five Nights at Freddy's by Markiplier, and I was dying with laughter. And, you know, and, and I, I really appreciate 
him. And and I do think he's also like kind of toned it down as he's gone. And yeah. that was what was huge at the time was that, but it, it is so extreme, his vocalizations and the faces he's making. It's so, it's like clowning. It's like vaudeville. It's so over the top and insane. Well, first of, okay, I'm just going to say, at the same age that the kids watching Markiplier were eating up these Five Nights at Freddy's Let's Plays, yeah, we were at the same time watching Jim Carrey make yes. a bunch of stupid, stupid faces and yelling yeah, yeah. and losing our goddamn minds. The kids react yes. to larger-than-life reactions. And the fact that it was this horror game that was still safe in terms of like sex and violence, the fact that uh, this was a burgeoning era for YouTube where... Gameplay videos kind of found the magic niche where you needed to produce hours of content, but you needed something visually distinctive to be worthy of the video format. And thanks to uh, like we covered in our Rooster Teeth episode, the fact was, is that video game footage for some while TV shows, movies, everything else was copyright stricken. You could have video games on screen and they were visually dynamic and interesting to look at and you could react to them and that didn't count. And so all this whole, you know, PewDiePie with the insomnia or amnesia, the dark descent videos, like this, this whole weird now institution of watching people play video games came into being thanks to this boom in indie horror and five nights at Freddy's was unique enough. It was at a time when people were actively looking for new horror games to play and react to. Mm -hmm. And a generation of talent was genuinely good at this bizarre art form, which is now a fact of digital life. Um, the fact that there were these like unanswered questions and, you know, where, what is this pizza place? Why are the animatronics alive? What is the bite of 87 uh, led to, game theorists and literally the game theorists and MatPat to create hours and hours of content to kind of fill in the gaps on the story. You know, uh, I think the first game theory was that the whole game was actually a reference to a real life killing spree that happened in a Chuck E. Cheese's one time. Um, and so this just drove it even further and just created this, this audience that was now engaged with this property and the game itself was cheap. You could, you know, you didn't have to, it wasn't a $60 buy-in. It was $5 or $4 mm -hmm. even. So it all just kind of was the right place at the right time to build this, you know, first, it wasn't a weird Christian game. It wasn't a convoluted sci-fi RPG. It was this snackable thing. And the, uh, the AI of the individual animatronics, the games use the, this this kind of uh, randomized math to decide when the uh, animatronics can move and if they move what they do in response to the player's interaction. So there's a little bit of an RNG in there. So it's not 100% every time you can beat the game. Even people that have played the game a couple of times will still get caught off guard and flip out. And mm -hmm. then they introduced the challenge modes where so now people can like play with the game turned up to a million and freak out even more. It all it all kind of worked. And while this is happening, Cawthorn, Ca I, I said Cawthorn, Cawthon was interacting with the Reddit and contacting the YouTubers and putting out teasers on his website 
so that as soon as the cycle of new game came out, YouTubers react to it, or a lot of times YouTubers getting it early, he started, you know, people fan theory, people like work, chew through what he's put out there. And now he's teasing the next one. And now you get to speculate on what's going to be in the next one. And there's the hype. And then some people get it early and there's a demo. Oh, but there's a fake demo. And he's just continually feeding the machine. It's brilliant in a way that only a guy kind of stuck at home with nothing to do, but like fuck with his audience kind of can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like, it's 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 really brilliant with that. And I do think like, I'm like literally watching um, Markiplier's Five Nights at Freddy's 3 uh, run through. And there's even a comment underneath it being like, I'm almost certain Scott watches Mark. Yeah. Because he's like, it seems like Mark is even throwing little he's just guessing at lore stuff mm-hmm. and then wouldn't you know it it ends up in the game kind of like you said oh right? yeah and no scott would add references to things markiplier said in later games you know certain character names that like markiplier would throw out on a whim ends up <laughs> becoming canon the name for those characters like yeah like the purple guy wasn't the purple guy until markiplier was like oh shit it's that purple guy again and all of a sudden <laughs> in the fandom that character was purple guy yeah so interesting. So another interesting part is this fucking rapid fire sequel approach. Just one month after the first game's release, Cawthon posted a teaser for the sequel on his webpage. It's released the same year as the first game, 2014. The second game builds on what the first game introduces via newspaper clippings found around the restaurant. However, uh, this game presents its lore now in many games one can play within the game. And this is a big part of the game's lore, of course. People starting to pull, pull in all these little factoids from these mini games and stuff. And you just mentioned the purple figure. And, you know, one of the big twists of the second game is that it turns out to actually be a prequel to the first one. And it's, uh, you know, it it seems like the second one, you said he patched it. The second one was way too hard. The third game seems to be kind of unfinished. It is. Uh, it takes place in an actual horror-themed attraction. It plays around with the formula just a little bit. There's one killer animatronic in this one, with other ones showing up as phantoms or hallucinations that mess with the player and sabotage their defenses. Uh, and the third and fourth game both come out in 2015, Fast and Furious. The fourth game is referred to as the final chapter, uh, and it takes place in, as I mentioned before, a child's bedroom, and the lore is doled out in these little mini games in between the nights, and it all leads up to that that them there bite of 87 we were talking about. And that's when you, yeah, that's when the true lore of William Afton and the uh, horrifying series of incidents and murders that stain this seemingly family-friendly restaurant uh, becomes fully known, and it's kind of fully laid out, which, if you if in the first Five Nights at Freddy's, it's like, oh no, this is about a guy who kills kids, you would it would be banned. It wouldn't be cute. It wouldn't be a phenomenon. But because it was so drawn out and because, it was so t- poured over and just every little drip of story had to be like hand assembled on YouTube and represented. It just it made it almost like an ARG, like the audience yeah. themselves got involved. There will be an uh, or I'm sorry, not an ARG uh, alternate reality game. There will be a um, AR video game. I downloaded it. It's eh. 
It's whatever. I watched Mark play it <laughs> in his little game room. He was like waving that, you know, he had a nice his little phone. setup to show it off with his uh, tablet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we get to uh, F, uh, FNAF world, I guess as we'll refer to it, and the weird just turn the whole series takes with all that stuff, I did want to give a little brief history of the jump scare because that really is so much of what this whole thing is predicated on. And the jump scare is a fascinating thing. We talked about how it's obviously a primal evolutionary thing, biological thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like our, the the weird stuff that goes on in our brains to protect ourselves from back in the day being out in the jungle fucking fending off tigers and shit, right? Mm-hmm. Or I'm sorry. The first known film that had a jump scare seems to be Phantom of the Opera in 1925 when actor Lon Chaney removes his mask to reveal his terrifying face. Uh, this did actually have no set music to it, though. And music and sound is such an important part of the jump oh scare. Oh, my God. I can't so, even imagine what Five Nights at Freddy's would be without Without the fact- sound. <laughs> yeah. Without, <laughs> without the... <laughs> and there is something about that, like, screeching sound that just works your so bones. well to make you jump. And it's so funny. Again, it's like, even after you've experienced it time and time again, it still gets you. It's just so... Because, it's so, again, so psychological. The same because he started introducing sound cues to everything. So now you're not only like focusing on the tablet and focusing your eyes places, but now you're keeping your ears like in full aware mode to make sure that you hear like breathing or like a s- distant singing or making sure the music uh-huh. box is still going. Yeah. And in fact, you have to turn it up really loud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially the the fourth game, which again, take away those like creepy camera movement like screens and all the weird effects that go into making that look like shit on purpose and it's you're just a boy in a room and it's fps it's so much shittier looking (laughs) but it still works the jump scares still work but it almost feel you're like what year was this made this feels like it should have been made like a decade before it was with how simple it is it was using 20 year old animation software and 15 year old game making software it was insane uh it's it's totally crazy but it it's still but the jump scares still work it's very frustrating um but uh, the tactic uh, for the jump scare was not used very much until a couple decades later. Uh, and it was 1942's Cat People, which also was noted as one of the first ever to do a fake jump scare, uh, which the fake out, I mean, fake out jump scares used in so many things. Scream has a really good one in the in early on. Um, and it's uh, this lady's being pursued by a cat person. The tension builds up to a point when, uh, up to this point when this bus pulls into frame with that hissing brake, that screeching brake noise. And it it causes the fake out jump scare. The most famous jump scare of them all, though, would it probably have to be the uh, 1960 uh, Hitchcock horror film Psycho, when Marion gets stabbed in the shower. And this is when you, we had the full combination of the above elements: a very well timed musical sto- score, which which cemented the effectiveness of the visuals and the buildup of tension and all that good stuff. And after that, especially with the slasher subgenre that hit popularity in the 1970s. Check out our uh, Friday the 13th episode uh, if you want a a little bit more on that. Uh, The jump scare becomes this extremely common tool. I love this little factoid. Uh, The the use of jump scares has become quite egregious in the horror genre. Uh, The the film The Haunting of Connecticut 2 Ghosts of Georgia features 32 jump scares. (laughs) 
<laughs> so it has gotten so over the top. And that's at a runtime of an hour and 40 minutes, 32 jump scares. And Five Nights at Freddy's, like I said, I mean, I played it for three hours. I was probably jump scared like 10 times. And after a while, it kind of starts feeling like a torture device or something. Yeah. Like it, it's not even, it's kind of stops getting fun after a while. You're just kind of like, it just becomes this like mean trick being played <laughs> on you over and over again. Because of the random factor, you can't quite train your body to know Never. when it's coming. The rules. If you fully know what's coming. And even then I kind of have to look away and take the headphones a little off the ear because it still is just going to jar you with the sheer sound and like, and shaky visual alone. Mm. Well, he decided he was going to take a step away from all that jump scaring and try something else out. Uh, you know, he'd always been wanting, you know, interested in RPGs. He, he tried his hand at, at, at that a little bit in his earlier, more Christian based game making days in late 2015. Coffin announces a new game, one that uses the four mainstay Five Nights care animatronics, but it takes part in a lighthearted RPG called FNAF World. Uh, a YouTube trailer was released, and these previous, previously terrifying monster creatures were served up as cute, fun buddies in an RPG adventure, which had fans thinking this was a big old prank on the part of Coffin because he liked to fuck with his audience so much. Definitely, again, get back on that Goog, go or go to YouTube. And it's check like he out learned FNAF nothing World. from the chipper thing because yeah. he introduced the idea by taking the farewell image of all the animatronics that he had had in all the games previously on his site. And one by one, as the days went by until the game was released, replacing them with cutified versions for the RPG. But the game, instead of a turn-based RPG, uses an active battle system yes. where every character and enemy is on a timer. And so... Every character is just flinging bullshit around on the screen, flashing so lights, ugly. giant garish buttons. It is upsetting visually to look at. It is just a chaotic mess, and you can barely understand what is happening. It also seems like it's way too easy. It's like not balanced well at all. It, there's like two teams of four that you can switch out during a battle, and like they're all throwing these attacks out and it just it seems so random. Mm -hmm. Also, there's like a bagillion. Yeah, just having that many characters to work with in general is like way too much right off the bat. You're working with a team of eight mm -hmm. in your RPG. There's so many things just done wrong or at least not in the way anyone has ever been used to. It just throws it all at you all at once. I like it, it almost makes you nauseous to watch it. It's so bad. There was also uh, a lot of things missing from the trailer and the initial release. It looked like there was going to be a pre-rendered overworld, but then when the game released, there was it was the same kind of Atari style overworld that was used in the mini games in previous games. Yeah, it looks rough, dude. Yeah, it it looked very rough. There were tons of glitches that affected gameplay. It was overall just people had a extremely negative reaction to this. And uh, for the first time or not for the first time, but like kind of Scott did something unprecedented. And in the kind of face of all the backlash, took it down, just was like, oh, I think I fucked up. Never mind. Sorry. Yeah, he he tried to like take it down and put it back up a, a couple times and and finally ends up just fully removing the game, giving everyone refunds. 
he said, I know there may be people who will say that I should have kept working on it. The reality is that some of the mistakes made in development of this game were done very early. Fixing certain things would basically be remaking the game from scratch. At what point do you stop trying to fix a project that didn't go well and start working on something new? At some point, you have to walk away and stop trying to fix it. Cawthon, of course, gets a ton of shit for this, which even prompted his old nemesis, Jim Sterling, to come out in his defense, saying something along the lines of, you know, I may not like his games, but you can you can admire the ability to take it on the chin and pivot his approach to game making in the process. Uh, this would later be redacted, by the way, when Jim puts out a video in 2021 titled Why the Five Nights at Freddy's Guy Sucks. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University, that's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know, the game does, for people that are truly invested in the lore, he does eventually re-release it for free and adds a lot of the features that were missing and adds extra levels, extra mini games. And it is a just grab bag full of lore and uh, fourth wall breaking. And if you are truly invested in the Five Nights at Freddy's universe, it's almost a must play thing because there's hidden characters. There's like... Actually, you know, at a certain point, the Fazbear guy who, like, gives you your mission starts talking about, like, man, why do I even do this? Like, it really kind of starts uh, blurring the lines between creator and audience in a lot of very interesting ways. If you don't want to play it all, there's tons of YouTube videos breaking down all the interesting little nuggets that this game has hidden. But it was definitely a misstep. It was kind of his uh, his he I think his his claim was that his style of game development where he got super excited and like shared stuff with the audience super early and like got feedback and then kind of like iterated and did all this stuff like his 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 almost near instantaneous like make the thing put it out work style did not work for something as lofty as this. Whereas those bite sized Five Nights at Freddy's things did work and kind of and even that i would argue he should have waited a year and come up with five nights of phrase two should have been like a way stronger thing like uh looking at the lifetime sales and cumulative youtube views and merchandising i'm gonna say he did the right thing yeah i mean yeah or or i will at least say like it didn't matter he succeeded regardless but uh if anything you know I don't know. The reason why the 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 franchise fr- franchise kind of dies after this next game is, uh, I think, wh- where where you can point to the mistakes being made. But either way, let's get into it. The final high point for the series seems to be sister location. Some people 
point to it as as the strongest game, namely because they switched up the formula just enough for a fresh new experience. I kind of already talked about this, but one doesn't just man a home base and turn on lights or close doors and keep the monitors at bay uh, or to keep the monsters at bay and just look into different monitors. Instead, there are several different areas one must get through with varying mechanics in each and the whole thing more so resembles that first-person survival gameplay experience that one gets with Outlast, Amnesia, those sorts of games. And um, But it's still on this very simple level, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I that really does work for it. Just to give some more variation, there's a little bit more story, it feels like, happening. A little, a little bit, It's a little bit more narratively driven as well. And so it's interesting. Like, for example, you've got this one sequence where you have to crawl through this little open space and there's this like ballerina robot that's circling around you and every time you hear a music box you have to stop or the ballerina robot will eventually come and get find you Mm -hmm. so like that's just one part then you make it into this room and you have to reset all of these like um uh power surge things while also keeping an eye out because the monsters are closing in on you so you have to keep like looking around to make sure they don't come get you uh, as well right so it's just it's just taking you through instead of it being like you got to get through five nights you're doing the same thing every night but it's just getting more and more difficult it's taking you through more of a journey uh with, oh, with yeah. varying parts and so that that definitely that makes for a stronger game baby who is like the you know one of the first like prime speaking female animatronics i know chica exists i've seen the fan art believe me i've seen the fan art i know about chica But Circus Baby has this like unreliable kind of helper that kind of has this GLaDOS kind of thing where you never quite understand what her motivations are. And like the more you help her, the more you think you might be doing the wrong thing. Obviously, things get a little nutty with the scooper machine. You you don't want to fuck with the scooper. But maybe I've already said too much. It I, it really does nail uh, a lot. It feels like it's saying more and doing more than most of the other Five Nights at Freddy's games before that point. Yeah, for sure. And it wins back a lot of the uh, the goodwill that was lost with FNAF World. And then there is the absolutely bizarre Freddy Fazbear's Pizza Simulator. Also look that one up. It is this just strange business sim that kind of harkens back Fazbear a little bit tycoon, to... Fazbear Tycoon, people call it. Yes, Fazbear Tycoon. It kind of, to me, harkens back a little bit to the monstrosity that is FNAF World, just in the sense of there's just all these menus and things going on and clashes of art, and it's all just so out of place and just, to me, ugly looking. Which I think when he's just trying to make non-scary games... They're just, they're going to be ugly looking. And that's why it works so well when he makes scary games. It's like, oh, it's supposed to look this ugly. It is so strange. But then also you pop into this office with these vents to your left and to your right. And you're going back and forth on that. And it turns into like a Five Nights at Freddy's experience. And then you pop back into this business. sim. it's so fucking strange. It's a giant yeah. lore dump. Like, if you really want to know without, like, any uh, ambiguity what this series, what the story of this series is about, uh, Pizza Simulator kind of basically almost checks off every last unanswered question that the game's left. And that was kind of Cawthon's, uh intention with that was to kind of put a nice little like, all right, here is the whole William Afton bullshit story. This is this is it. All right. Ultimate Custom Night is also very popular because it allows 
people to create their own kind of yeah, Five Nights cool. at Freddy's experiences. Uh, yeah. It becomes a huge kind of, it's almost like a, not a speed run situation, but, you know, getting to the final night with the AIs turned up all the way for certain animatronics, like became kind of this challenge that a lot of people took up and kind of uh, brought a lot of, you know, for people that had been playing since 2014, it was like a nice victory lap for people to kind of use all the weird skills that they had amassed during this bizarre five-year period right. to make a uh, to make a challenge mode. So then you've got Help Wanted and Security Breach. Help Wanted was released in 2018 as a VR game. And finally, this is Scott deciding to work with an actual game dev company to make that happen. The group is uh, called Steel Wool Studios. The founder is a guy named Josh uh, Qualtieri, who initially wanted to join NASA to explore Mars. But when that branch was defunded, he turned to Pixar, where he was working on a few films for them uh, and then grabbed some other folks and decided they would create a a game development uh, company, Steel Wool. They started out developing for Valve uh, on the HTC Vive with games like Quar, Battle for Gate 18. And Scott ends up approaching him initially because he wants to create a VR remake of the first Five Nights at Freddy's. And it's very telling the condition of Five Nights at Freddy's. They end up deciding to scrap that because they realize the first game just did not translate well in an immersive VR uh, experience. And also the quality and the... (laughs) of the original artwork and the character models and everything was just totally not usable in VR. Like once you got up close and personal with that stuff, it just did not work on any level. And that brings us, uh, uh, and so they end up creating this help wanted VR experience instead, uh, which is pretty, pretty cool. I, I, it's not something I really want to play. I don't want to play a jump scare simulator in VR. Like it's just not, I I tried like a little bit of that and it's kind of fun, but I don't know. I was like, I, maybe if I was with someone, it would might be more fun. But to solo do that, it, it I, it's just not my cup of tea to be locked into a VR world where I mean, shit. The fucking head crabs in Half Life Alex were enough. Like, holy lord. So that brings us to the most recent in, uh, entry in the franchise, Security Breach. The Security Breach was released in 2021. It was developed again by Steel Wool Studios. This is not a VR experience. This is one of their first non-VR experiences they made, actually. And resembles a bit more of something like Alien Isolation. It puts the player inside Frezzy, Freddy Fazbear's Mega Pizzaplex, a large shopping mall filled with franchises, uh, filled with the franchise's animatronics. The player can free roam, and the game takes place over just one night with Freddy Fazbear, actually the only animatronic that's not evil, and assists the player through the game. Turns into this kind of like buddy movie kind of mm-hmm. thing with that. Just, just I think missteps on the whole. What, what makes the games at all scary in the first place? Well, again, yeah. it's it's like I brought up before. Like all horror franchises, at some point the mystique is gone, and people just like the monsters. Yeah. So for kids that like grew up with these games and just wanted to walk around and exist in three in real time right. in this universe, I think they kind of like were looking forward to this. The game did release with a ton of bugs. There was uh, controversy because it was exclusive to PlayStation 5 for a while. Um, And uh, the game does have like secret endings and a lot of like little mystery nuggets for the fan theorists and the YouTube community to pick apart. So, you know, it wasn't a total failure, but it definitely wasn't the uh, it wasn't the I I don't even know. Like, 
does it matter that it doesn't break through the mainstream if you're already making all this money? If you can buy the dolls at Walmart, like right. you did it, right? You did it probably all. because it's for kids. Mm. If it was for adults, probably wouldn't work. But but it's for kids. So if you're if you already have the Freddy Fazbear like patch on your book bag and it's a part <laughs> of your identity, like you're gonna buy the fucking game, even if it's filled with glitches on release, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not that good of an experience. You're still going to play it and you're still going to watch streams of it and all that good stuff, right? Because it's just the world you've chosen for yourself. Because all I don't know about listeners at home, but when I was a kid, I mean, I decided that Teenage Mutant Ninja... I mean, there was nothing that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles could do <laughs> to fuck that relationship up for those years that I was a fan. Mm-hmm. You know? They could literally have like... Donatello, like, uh, 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 you know, in a scene in the cartoon, like masturbating in a public park. And I would just be like, yeah, that's it's Ninja Turtles. It's the best. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's just me. I also mm-hmm. kind of enjoy public park masturbation in general. But still, <laughs> Fazbear fanverse, this this kind of makes Scott seem like a decent, decent enough chap. He's done some good stuff before we get to why people don't like him. He's done some decent stuff. In 2020, Cawthon put forth an effort to support Five Nights at Freddy fan games by helping to fund and publish them. These include joke games like One Night at Flumpties, as well as some more serious efforts like Five Nights at Candies and The Joy of Creation, which is made in Unreal Engine 4 or 5, and it's like legit good and... (laughs) cool looking like way better looking than any of the freddy games it's kind of amazing that's really neat and and that kind of personal interaction with the fans is really something else up until some of the stuff that would not be cool with the fans would get uh released which we're just about to get to but before that i was blown away at the sheer amount of of Five Nights at Freddy's books there are. It is ridiculous. The first novel in a trilogy of novels was released in 2015 titled Five Nights at Freddy's The Silver Eyes. It is centered around a group of childhood friends who return to their hometown to discover something is up with the restaurant they once loved to attend. Of course, that would be Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria. Uh, they are uh, then... They're then uh, So there's three novels. Then there are 12 entries in the Fazbear Frights series. Each volume consists of three short stories, and each generally has to do with kids interacting with creepy animatronics in all all sorts of ways. Uh, Then there's also Tales from the Pizzaplex. That's a whole other ongoing series that consists, again, of three short stories per volume. There are also several graphic novels to top it all off, each an adaptation of either the original trilogy of novels or of the Fazbear Fright series. Jake, what's your favorite entry in the Fazbear Frights? Or are you more of a Tales from the Pizzaplex kind of guy? I, I did not get to any of the book stuff. I just <laughs> genuinely, I was hoping you also had, and you would just be like, and there were some books and we could move on. This yeah, is we just will. a giant. I, I'm assuming it is like pretty fill in the blanky for, uh, you know, as a series. I can't believe like each volume is three short stories. And I can't, I couldn't imagine they're very thick volumes, right? I mean, if every one of those stories doesn't have a little pop-up book fold out Freddy that just goes every time, then I'd I'd scam. Yeah, they're just pumping those things out. But again, Scott Cawthon 
is writing these is a lot of these. And so, you know, he's still like just the sheer amount. Yeah, yeah, of- yeah. And R.L. Stein wrote all those goosebumps and the well, no, Animorphs wrote people wrote people all and- the Animorphs books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still, like the fact he's even involved at all is kind of wild in in terms of like create, putting these out, creating them. It's so much for someone to dive into, which is so crazy because it's literally like a 15 minute long story stretched out over fucking six years. And then all this content comes out of it is mind boggling to a certain degree. I'll just, you know what, when it comes to, I'll just wait for the movie to come out. Then I'll see if it's worth reading the source material. Let's talk about the movie. Warner Bros. gets the film rights in 2015. After two years of pre-production limbo, it moves over to Blumhouse Productions. That is in 2017. What? You're telling me Warner Brothers had a billion dollar idea and they just could not get it off the ground and they fucked up? Pretty Warner much. Warner Brothers did that? At, so, at one point at Blumhouse, by the way, Chris Columbus was attached. That would have been great. Director of Home Alone, Right. Uh, however, he drops off a couple years after that. More recently, Blumhouse tweeted a picture of a worker at Jim Henson's Creature Shop working on a Freddy Fazbear model. So Jim Henson's Creature Shop is now involved. The director is now Emma Tammy, who worked with Coffin on the script. She's got one film credit under her belt, but not something I've ever heard of. The movie is set to come out sometime in 2023. I'm very curious what that sort of... Th- I mean, hey, it's jump scares, right? It Jump scares really came from cinema anyways from the first place. So I'm just hoping it tops that Haunting of Connecticut 2 movie with 32 jump scares. I'm really hoping. Can, can they get to 50? Can they get to 70 jump scares in an hour, 20 minute long film? We'll see. It's, I mean, Scott has been agonizing over this for years at this point. He obviously, uh, you know, kept a very open channel between the community uh, there's uh, a little in-joke of a previous version of the script that was basically uh, Freddy Takes Manhattan that was supposedly like so bad that it set the entire production back for months on end. <laughs> it's been a long time coming. That's so and dumb. If this- just put it in the fucking restaurant. Just have somebody working there overnight and how I could write this script. I mean, did you ever watch Nick Cage and Willy's Wonderland? I haven't seen it yet. I did hear also that that movie has very, very little dialogue, which is mm. really cool. And yeah, they kind of already made it with Willy's Wonderland, it seems like, but... You know, you got to make the kid version of that, right? Mm-hmm. And what that is. And I love horror films for kids. Oh, there I was think also they that Banana so Splits awesome. movie that came out oh, that also yeah, had a yeah. similar premise. Yeah, that also had that. Well, everybody, of course, was like, oh, this is like movie fucking gold, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into it. The Fall of Coffin is my final uh, chapter in my notes, essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's such an interesting, you know, this really tells such an interesting story of can't how how cancellations can happen in the these environments so as the fan base for five nights at freddy's grew especially since it was a big internet sensation a lot of the folks that were fans of the franchise both had little knowledge of the creator's personal life and ideals and also consisted of a lot of lgbtq plus folks and generally young liberal-minded people it's an internet thing and internet fandom is generally going to be a lot of that Right. I mean, it's, you know, if you're creating, if you want to, if you personally have liberal values and you want to have a, as open a fan base as possible, of course, you're going to be like, hey, this is an inclusive space. I respect your choices. I respect your uh, identity. Like, this is a place where we can all come together and kumbaya it out. And 
yeah, you can get, you could be a, you know, you could be watching Markiplier videos, Jacksepticeye videos. You could, you know, you could be completely unaware of, or, or the idea of Cawthon's like uh, fundamentalist Christian upbringing and beliefs is just like a wacky little side thing. Like, oh, it's kind of neat that like this Christian guy made such a demonic, spooky, blood soaked story, but like takes all kinds, I guess. But then when the rubber meets the road, and you actually kind of look into what it means to engage with someone and their uh, actual beliefs and how they materially uh, enact those beliefs in the world. Yeah, all of a sudden it's it stops being as uh, abstract as you want it to be. Yeah, I mean, there was no secret, too, that this guy lived in Texas, grew up there and was uber Christian. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you know those two things, then you can kind of make some guesses about where they land politically and how they feel about certain social things that you might make your stomach turn. And so, but it ended up being this huge bombshell when folks find out that Cawthon had given out major campaign contributions to people, uh, people, those people, that group, that group hates, such as Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump, while also being a huge pro-life advocate, which is not a big surprise knowing his background, as I said. The backlash was a lot, including death threats, and eventually led to Coffin being doxxed. Coffin said, my wife is six weeks pregnant, and she spent last night in fear because of what was being said online. She has already been struggling with her pregnancy, so seeing her so afraid really scared me. All this because I exercised my right and my duty as an American citizen, Jake, to vote for and support the candidates who I felt could best run the country for everyone. And that's something that I won't apologize for. And something I find really fascinating about this, no matter where you land on this, is this is definitely new for our society. Back in the day, you could absolutely be a person who made video games and a Republican who contributed to the president of the um, of the country's campaign fund and not get canceled no matter what, right? Yeah, I mean, people might be like, fucking this guy, huh? This fucker. Bush, you like Bush? Yeah, seriously? But I don't think a bunch of people online would be like sending you death threats and shit. It's just wild how much of an effect the last president had on just, on everything, fundamentally, and how people react to things online. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that if you are listening to this show, you probably are not a Christian fundamentalist who believes in the iron hierarchy of the patriarchal system and that all aberrations from the nuclear family uh, is, in fact, uh, the decay of Western civilization. I'm going to assume that you don't live your life within that mind space and just say that, like, within within the past 10, 20 years, what was standard for Republican rhetoric shifted dramatically And for the first time, this generation of uh, young people that saw the onward march of progress as this kind of, uh, you know, straight line, all of a sudden saw things like laws in Florida and saw like discourse that has even just something that we thought was settled years ago, like gay marriage on the chopping block again. And how you relate your uh, politics to your consumption I, you know, it's like vegans. I'm not a vegan. I don't think I could do it. And yet when I hear a vegan talk about the moral implications of eating meat, 
I can't disagree with them. I'm like, shit, you're right. I just, that's not how I'm going to live my life. Like I have a gasoline in my car and I'm scared of global warming. Like the, the paralysis and true commitment it would take to live up to your ideals is just something not a lot of people can go with. But if that is you and that is how you are, are going to like express your, you know, your, your, your priorities, I'm not going to be, I, I just can't, I just, I kind of just have to not and go like, yeah, man, shit. Uh, that being said, don't send death threats via the internet. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I need to say that out loud. I agree but. with at literally everything you just said, Jake. I, yeah. Absolutely. It's an interesting one. I don't know if I feel like someone necessarily needs to like be forced to step away from their job for making campaign contributions per se, but I also understand. I think if he doubled <laughs> it's down, a, it's a weird if one. he doubled down and posted through it, he would active. It would go from like, "Hey, you know what? It's just you know, America takes all kinds," and it would go directly to, "If you are a queer person in America, I think you are an abomination, and I am actively antagonizing right. your right to exist." Right. And with the fact that his community is so tied to content creators, to a wider, younger audience, I just don't think that was sustainable. The dude got his nut, like Chipper the Woodchuck, the and just was like, I'm just going to cash out. And is that ma- amazing, too, that Jim Sterling, his big like nemesis this whole time, is trans? It's so fascinating that this whole story, that's what I meant by Pandora's box. The whole thing is just way crazier than I ever thought it was. I just thought it was just this weird clunky series of like indie video games that became this huge hit. And well, that's, that's it. That's I mean, if I had a definitive answer to how to engage in culture war during this pivotal moment in history, I would not be a podcaster. I would be the God King Emperor leader of the freedom movement. And you all would be, uh, you know, paying homage to my golden palace because I fixed everything. And unfortunately, I am not. And so we just kind of have to end on this thing where, yeah, like Pilgrim's Progress is not a chill book. And he dedicated six years of his (laughs) life to like animating it frame by frame. Well, I usually end on a final quote. This is a little bit more than that. Uh, it's Cawthon's final statement uh, before he steps away in June of 2021 from the franchise, cho- uh, saying he'd choose a successor to take over future games. But here it is for whatever it's worth. The words f- directly from the man. For those who took time to look, you saw that the candidates I supported included men, women, white people, black people, Republicans, mm. and Democrats. Oh, mm. that's, a, that's a fun one. Right? <laughs> Uh, I supported Kimberly uh, Bl- uh, cl- Classic in Baltimore because I believe that she really cared for the African-American community there and wanted to pull them out of poverty. I believe she could have really she could really make a, a difference in a time when so many black communities were struggling. She lost, unfortunately. I love this one. I supported Tulsi Gabbard, a Democrat, even though I disagreed with her on several issues. She just came out as Republican, right? Yeah, <laughs> or uh, explicitly not a Democrat. Because I felt she would have been a good and fair president. And yes, I supported President Trump because I felt he was the best man to fuel a strong economy and stand up to America's enemies abroad, of which there are many. Even if there were candidates who had better things to say to the LGBT community directly and bigger promises to make, I believe that their stances on the other issues would have ended up doing much greater harm to those communities than good. All this, is, all of this explanation, just I fear, is... Just a kid is, in a uh, conversion camp against their will, yeah. just being like, at least uh, the marginal tax rates have been lower. Hooray! <laughs> Stop All of this. hosing me down with cold water, please. 
All of this explanation, I fear, is wasted as people don't want to discuss which uh, because people don't want to discuss with one another anymore. They want endless apologies and submission. People who are expecting those from me will get neither. I'm a Republican. I'm a Christian. I'm pro-life. I believe in God. I also believe in equality and in science and in common sense. Despite what some may say, all of those things can go together. That's not an apology or promise or to change. It's the way it's always been. <laughs> Uh, yep. And yeah, that's pretty much it. He steps away. That's the, by the way, if you go to the Five Nights at Freddy's Reddit uh, page, which is very popular, and you hit top all time, that is the number one post that pops up right up top. And as you scroll down, it's kind of sad because as you scroll, you see all these other direct to the fans posts from Scott himself. Those are all like the top ones, right? Talking about his program to support other uh, fan-made games and all these sorts of things and initiatives for charities and stuff and oh, dropping yeah. no, trailers for the next games. a half million and, dollars for St. Jude's Hospital with MatPat and Markiplier over a live stream. Like, Yeah, it's a, it's a weird, dark, sad end to this story. And, I'm, and I don't even necessarily think it should have... Not happen, but what a what a bizarre roller coaster of like of all the people, the one guy that's like, I'm here for my fans and I'm gonna be so direct and up with them and everything for it to end this way. It's fascinating. It's totally of its time, so specific to the mid 2010s mm. to, to to now, right? And all the bullshit that's gone down in politics and in internet fandoms everything it, it really tells the tale of all of it it brings you right back to this period of time and so uh really enjoyed researching this one this is a really fascinating one for me jake uh the thing that's about it do you have anything else to add before we uh, close it up i just it, this whole franchise could not have emerged from a focus group it could not have emerged from uh, a corporate boardroom this really was lightning in a bottle from a very weird guy with a very weird set of skills and his his output resonated with the exact audience that was yearning for something to shake things up. And he rode that wave as skillfully and trollishly as someone could. And it was this amazing organic thing that was just for Gen Z internet citizens, this was theirs. And... It had always been the thing that, like I mentioned right at the beginning of the episode, I willingly was like, I am not going to learn about this. I don't need to know about this. This I am good. And getting to just dip my toes in and actually like relive and experience all of this, all these twists and turns, these highs and lows over the course of a week was genuinely fascinating, genuinely entertaining. And this was one of this is one of the topics that will stick with me for a while. This this episode mm. really was a roller coaster to research, not only because of the fact that I was shitting my pants constantly playing jump scare games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, everybody. Thank you so much, so much for joining. Uh, if you want to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. $5 a month gets you weekly bonus content. And for $15 a month, you can join us on our Sunday study sessions. Check us out on there on our Discord. Uh, so yeah, that's patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Check me out. Twitch 
twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. Twitch.tv forward slash holdenators ho. Monday through Friday streams. I'm gaming on Thursdays. If you want to come in for that, I've had some Whizbrew folks pop in, say what's up for the first time just this morning. Uh, we usually record these on Thursdays. So thank you for that. Keep joining me on that. Jake. Follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young. Follow our TikTok at Wizard Bruiser LPN. We uh, post things, fun little videos, clips from the show. If there's a clip from a previous episode that you would like turned into a uh, wacky TikTok with me and Holden in cartoon form, let me know. I'm always eager to figure out what like moments from the show resonated with you. Uh, and of course, Puppet Jared on Twitch and YouTube. Thursday nights are the cartoon dumpster streams, and they are a blast. People always are like, hey, hey, I showed up because you talked about it on the podcast. And God damn it, Jake, you were right. This is a fucking great old time. Thank you so much for streaming Thursday nights at 7 p.m. on twitch.tv slash puppet Jared or youtube.com slash puppet Jared. Love it. And always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on. <laughs> I'm a dead boy. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.